Hi, I'm Francesca Milliken Slater. This is Pippa Frith, who's my producer. And I am going to tell you a few stories from Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night, which is a podcast that is a series of lots of different stories that follow different kinds of nights or nights out or nights in with lovers. So they're stories that aren't necessarily about the night, but they carry a sense of the night. So I'm going to tell you um, two stories to start with from the first episode, which is called A Night Out. So the first story is called The Pied Piper of Broad Street. (laughs) If you've been to the city, you'll know that street's name. You'll know what runs down its rivets. And if you've never been to Broad Street, you'll know a street or a road like it in a town or a city somewhere. Pubs, clubs, kebab shops, strip clubs, gentlemen's clubs. On the weekends, it's high heels, no trainers and shots. Chat up lines, drinks, bought gropes, fists, rays. But they say they don't remember the next day. Vomit stains as pavement neighbours to dropped kebabs. Chilli sauce and bile. But on a Tuesday night, this is a Tuesday night, there's no steam at the windows, there's no queues at the doors. The flyers are still out trying to persuade passers-by in homeward-bound gear and looks that they deserve a drink. Sometimes it picks up, often not. So the contractors and the salesmen, suits, sweating, skin, sink pint glasses on their own. It's not really a club. It's a bar with lights and the chairs cleared away. Men line the walls. Well, not quite line the walls, but there's a fair few of them. Discarded of their high-vis jackets, jeans pressed in Corby trouser presses, premier in ironing boards. Businessmen are down winding from the job they do, where they smile and they plead, knowing soon they'll be unnecessary. But the old-fashioned mantra keeps them on the straight and narrow, promises of working for the wife and the kids, except she earns almost as much money as him now. Nights alone in hotel rooms with more channels than they can watch, and there's always porn on their phone, and the internet's included in their room, but they need a place to let loose, stomp their feet so far from home. The lights are going round, and round on an empty dance floor. The music too loud to really talk. One man is singing his own content, eyes closed in double denim ecstasy. Fair play. Not many women here tonight. Save the bored barmaid, and she's just about as old as the kids. Steer clear her fresh face, made impassive by the beard-up propositions. Nod the men they see every week or every other the lights going round and round on the dance floor the smoke machines it is not ladies night don't really fancy the music much but the beer is cheap and cold usually although plastic glasses are always a disappointment there's no fear of fights on a Tuesday night usually and then A young man, where's he from? Walks onto the dance floor, the empty dance floor, the lights going round and round, bends his knees, nods his head, sets his face and starts to dance. Not massively well, but not massively badly. Waves his arms and as he waves his arms, he seems to say, come onto the floor. No one cares what moves you make. Come on, join me. And one by one, head, nod, foot, shake, toe, tapping, they move to the beat. The contractors and the salesmen, the slick suits, the man in double denim, the two tight jeans, they let the music take them here on a Tuesday night in a bar in a place that could be anywhere. Without shame or laughter at one another, they will sweat in their suits. Here they are. There they are. They'll never be Usher, Michael Jackson or Anton de Beck. 
but they are dancing, washing out in salty sweat. The conferences and the lanyards, the problems of the day, the UHT milk in hotel rooms, the driving Jeff from fucking accounts. They are dancing. So um, I saw him once, the Pied Piper of Broad Street. Uh, he might be here this evening, maybe. Um, uh, I saw him in the walkabout on Broad Street. Has anyone else been to the walkabout? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's so proud. Yeah, so proud of it. Two quid in on a Tuesday, unless you're a woman. It's free. Um, <laughs> so I didn't grow up here, but I love this city. This is my adopted home city, and there's far more than concrete kebab shops and canals. I'm sure we all know that. But I grew up in Watford. Does anyone know Watford? Oh, yes, yes. Home to uh, George Michael, Jerry Hallowell, Elton John, and 2017 X Factor winners, Braxu. Anyone? <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> I grew up long, long before Raksu were doing that, um, drinking vodka straight from the bottles and uh, flyovers while Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac spilled out of uh, underage clubs that doubled as laser quests. <laughs> UK Garage and R&B was the beat behind my adolescence with a smattering of Britpop, indie and a little bit of grunge. So um, here's some familiar sounds to take you back to that time. At a teenage disco with Thunderbird on their lips. Sally and Richard are thrown together by a mass of moshing adolescence as the dance floor is hit by smells like teen spirit. And that school hall really did smell like teen spirit. Links and disappointment, spit and stale cigarettes, tears and diamond white. As Kurt Cobain repeats, hello, 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 hello. Sally is thrown against Richard by the crowd that are moving as one. He's the only thing stopping her fall to the floor. She's the only thing stopping him, Lee. As the crowd disperses and that wail of the guitars makes way for the gentle. Of Casey and Jojo's all my life. And all eyes are on Sally and Richard. She, she wants to let go. She's embarrassed, but Richard holds her in his orbit. One hand on the small of her back, the other loosely gripped in hers. Her face so very close to his. She's got quite a big face, actually. But like in, in a good way. And all the other kids are, are drifting back to the walls, just watching Sally and Richard turning around and around and around. And it seemed as though the song would never stop. Casey and Jojo playing endlessly on, on a loop. But Sally can't stay here forever. Her dad's waiting in the car park. But she can't let go of Richard's hands. And they're standing, just turning round, hands low but gripped tight, and her sweat has mixed with his sweat, and the ridges in between their fingers have become damp and verging on the uncomfortable. And slowly, Sally starts to step away, inch by inch, until it's just their fingertips touching, just the tips of them as she starts to walk backwards, away from Richard. And the other kids are leaving. And the song is dying down. And Richard is just watching Sally get further and further and further away. And he knows that once he loses sight of her, he'll never see her again. And for the first time in his short adolescent life, he realises that his skin is already dead. That his nails are already growing. That his hair will thin and his bones will crack and ache and weaken. And right now, he's the youngest he'll ever be again. And Sally has gone backwards out the fire exit, eyes still locked on him, walking backwards across the car park window at her back, and she is still looking at him as she gets further and further and further away until she's just a sliver of the glow she emits. And then she gets in the car, 
Back in the school hall, it's all strip lights and soggy paper plates with spilled cut price panda cola. Links, Charlie Red, deflated balloons. And Richard is standing with his hand still out in front of him. And then the lights go out. That's the moon and us. Thank you to Sally and Richard. Um, you might have heard of this. Uh, it was a story a, a few years back about the moon moving away from us, although I guess it's always been happening. It's not really a story that happened just a few years ago. <laughs> the moon is moving away from us, millimetre by millimetre over millennia. She used to have a much bigger face. We could really see her craters. Our days are getting longer. Millisecond by millisecond. Today, this evening, is the shortest day of the rest of your life. So that's the first two stories for um, a night out. So stories to tell in the middle of the night, a night out. Do you want another story or a chat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh. That's nice. That felt like proper story time then. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll do one from the fourth episode, which is uh, The Lost and Left Behind. Um, and it is about the lost and left behind, the ghosts that come creeping in at night and knocking on your door that you can never quite forget, especially if you're up, awake, thoughts going. So this is called He Built His House for Him. I've got no sound for this otherwise as well, so, you know... <laughs> There is in the podcast. It's just here. (laughs) It didn't shock Trevor to find out he was dying. He'd thought it for some time. In fact, it motivated him more than he'd ever been motivated before. Trevor had always been better at working to a deadline. Trevor's main concern were the people that were left behind. Trevor didn't know where he was going or who he even really was, but wherever he was going, he was pretty sure he wouldn't need his house, his car, or his juice maker. He wasn't looking to be buried like an Egyptian pharaoh, and he definitely did not want his house being turned into a mausoleum of him. So Trevor, with six months or so left to live, had decided that he would leave behind something for the people that he loved, but Not a legacy of himself, but something they actually wanted and could use while still living. Now, Trevor loved no one more than his best mate, John. J-O-N. Well, family, they were family, but John was his best friend. Now, their friendship wasn't based on shared interests or shared tastes, but shared history. They'd grown up together. Different families, different backgrounds, but boy to man, they knew each other and would often say so in unison. Other friends called them the odd couple as they were different in looks and style and gait. But if you watched them for long enough, if you listened to them talk, you'd see the same mirrored bodily gestures, the same dips and tones in their voice. So... Trevor, with six months left to live, had decided that he would leave his house to John, but he would leave it how John would want it. That would be his gift to him. Now, Trevor's house inside was pretty plain. He liked white walls, magnolia, grey at a push. He liked clean lines and simplicity. John's taste, however, was quite different, dectorial-wise. He was always offering to come round and put a splash of colour in. John had a penchant for the exuberant. Bold colours, bright patterns, heavy materials, a little bit like a discotheque done up in the late 1990s by Prince. (laughs) Well, Trevor, with the last of his money, no use for it where he was going, began to purchase faux zebra carpet, leather-embossed wallpaper, a four-foot wrought iron statue of a frog (laughs) leapfrogging. The things that John had pointed out while watching those home decorating programmes together. Watching those home decorating programmes together was an unspoken compromise of their friendship, like them both pretending that real ale didn't give them the shits in the morning. (laughs) So 
Trevor was filling up the shed with items he actively disliked and style choices he had no care for. Now, given the closeness of their friendship and John's attentiveness following the news of Trevor's imminent demise, this was quite a hard project to manage. And then Trevor had a brainwave. Oh, he would contact one of those home decorating programs and tell them of his intention to turn his house into John's house. Well, they simply loved that he was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> They'd probably do a special on him, in fact. So Trevor arranged in what he assumed would be the last weeks of his life for the home decorators to come and change his house into John's house. By the time that week arrived, Trevor wasn't actually feeling any worse. I mean, he wasn't exactly bouncing off the walls, but he was nowhere near ready to meet his maker yet. So the home decorators, the TV company, sent him up off the road to a travel lodge for a week. After a week, Trevor comes back in to gilded banisters, mirrored ceilings, inches-long purple thick pile carpet, a light up tiled kitchen floor, throw cushions. There are so many throw cushions. A sunken gold-rimmed black bath. It was perfect for John. But Trevor did not die. He lived instead inside this house made for his friend and could not afford or bring himself to turn it back around. Every morning he grimaced in the bulb-surrounded bathroom mirror. It only highlighted his pallid skin. Had to get a new vacuum cleaner for the thick pile purple carpet. It only collected his falling skin cells. John on the other hand, still unknowing that all the decorating was for him, was delighted in this turnaround in taste, thinking that Trevor facing up to his own mortality had provoked a previously unrealised want for nicer things. <laughs> Five years later, Trevor succumbed to the disease that multiplied inside him. Five years of living amongst the animal print and the carpet and the gilded banisters being tucked into satin sheets he never anticipated. By the time the will was read, John realised too late what all the decorating was for. And it wasn't the gilded banisters, the animal print, the mirrored ceiling he was grateful for. It was the dip in the sofa cushions, the worn tread of the carpet, the imprint of Trevor living there for five years that he loved, that little part of him still left. Thanks, Ron. Thanks. Um, wow, we left it on an up. We did, didn't we? I should have done <laughs> So we thought we'd just take like a few minutes to give you a little bit of context as to where these where this started. Um, it's probably worth mentioning it started its life as a theatre show, uh, has done a run at the Edinburgh Fringe, has toured nationally, has done a community tour in this region to loads of amazing different spaces. Um, and after it felt like it had its touring life, um, you started to think about different forms that you didn't quite feel finished with it <laughs> um so yeah what where did you how did what happened with that so as a theater show there was about i think there was 11 stories and there was lots more that i'd written and they're stories that i've been writing for 15 16 years on and off some of them just died off as lines and some of them had, had just been sort of sitting there and I wanted to come back to them. So, But to do a show for Edinburgh, it has to be an hour and it felt quite a compromise of some of it. I loved it as a show, but um, I kind of wanted to come back to it and the original idea was this idea of sort of a late night radio show. So I don't know if anyone knows uh, John Carpenter's The Folk? Stevie, yeah. So Stevie, Stevie Wayne, isn't it, <laughs> from that. And that kind of, not the horror bit so much, but this kind of, talking in the night and also uh, warriors anyone knows that yeah warriors <laughs> but not Wait, normally people don't know that so you guys are like top class audience but that mouth you know just talk, sort of encouraging these people so i wanted i wanted a bit of a, like a late night dj feel to it anyway so 
and all those kind of raconteurs was really interested in uh, blues artists like B.B. King and how they sort of tell stories or the Ronnie Wood radio show, if you've ever listened to that, where he just sort of goes on and it ends with, and then I slept with her. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, <laughs> or I fell off a boat or something. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of give that feel to it. And it suddenly felt like a, pod- a podcast, not suddenly, would, was the right feel for it because it gives space to those stories to kind of think a little bit because um, sort of sitting live sometimes that some of them you kind of need a bit of space so that's why it became a podcast and then I started and it meant that I could completely um, change the order of the stories as they were for the show so the show followed the sort of the pattern of the sleepless nights so the kind of frustrations the sexual frustrations when you're trying to get yourself to sleep um, <laughs> the point where you're really angry because you know it's never going to happen and then that kind of hope as well when the kind of the morning breaks maybe it's going to be all right or maybe it's not um so with these ones it felt that we could there's about three or four stories to every episode no one's longer than half an hour but it meant that I could do different nights out so there's sort of nights in with the lovers the one that we just released on Tuesday is the horrors not the 90s band no too early 2000s band um, <laughs> but the horrors kind of um and there's uh there's lovers what else is there there's uh the Lost and Left Behind Part One, um, the distractions, which is the sexual one. Uh, it's all about self love. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, and then there's kind of there's hope as well at the end, which is the last one. So it just felt like the podcasts were a, a great place to do it. And unfortunately, we haven't got our sound designer here today, but he's called Ian Armstrong, and there's nothing he can't do. <laughs> Um, he put for the first story I told the Pied Piper of Broad Street, um, which is a true story. Um, he put that music to it, like sort of that generic, like kind of music, and it just met, it just lifted it so much. Um, so you just said that you've been writing these stories for 15, 16 years, on and off. So I just wondered a little bit where where do they come? Where do you find this, these things, Fran? Um, where do they come from? Where, where are they rooted? Yeah, that's yeah. the end of the question. <laughs> so the Pied Piper is genuinely a true story um, that happened on a night out, on a Tuesday night in Walkabout. Uh, I mean, the end of it really happened is that my friend and me, who were the only two women in there, then got on the dance floor and everyone just went... Whoa! and scattered but I kind of like the idea of leaving these men just dancing and having a nice time um and then with other ones so for the moon and us that was actually written for another show which was about the history of the flat I was living in and it was all about how things inevitably change so I wanted to write the kind of Brian Cox was everywhere like talking about the moon moving away from us but I wanted to kind of write it as a sort of myth or a legend which I'm kind of interested in these kind of new legends or how like these just sort of snapshots or glimpses into people's lives. Um, and with he built his house with him, it was a headline, it was like a newspaper article that I read somewhere and I can't, I can't find it now. Like, and I think I read it pre-ish internet, you know, when it was a little bit dial-up or you had to like sneakily do it at work and stuff, like no one had smartphones. So I can't really find it. And then some of them are, are really are true that people have told me. So there's one called um, Pork Pie Holer, which is oh. about a man holding pies in a pork pie factory um, which is a true story doesn't end that well for him um, he's, fine now. he's fine now he's great now it's fine <laughs> um so sort of things that i overhear or just little bits of moments i guess that any kind of writers when you see you see things and kind of they become something else or writing legends as well so some of them were written specifically for the for the podcast to kind of tie up things so for the horrors there's one called the ticking where a man is haunted by a ticking clock because I, I who can sleep in a room with a ticking clock no it's you can is it do you because you can get them on like youtube like relax to this your life going <laughs> just counting down <laughs> um so they come from a lots of uh, kind of different places and some of the some of the more interesting ones there's also a one called little pieces of us which is about my brother collecting his toenails in a jar as an act of love. Not just his <laughs> no, not his, just his toenails. Now his children's. <laughs> family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably worth telling people where they can find out a little bit more about the show, the podcast, where you can download it, and also, it's also a book. 
that you can buy that has kind of notes about the making of the show. It's audio fan, so doing action this doesn't <laughs> help. Um, and it's all, we also made a set of BSL interpreted videos, which was really interesting process um, because Fran's work is really poetic and very, very word word based. Um, and BSL is a visual language, obviously. Um, so it reworked the stories in this really incredible way. And we went on this huge journey. We worked with um, a deaf in-screen pre uh, presenter and a deaf director to do that. Um, so they're all on the website, downloadable. What's the website, Fran? It's stories to tell in the middle of the night, dot com. That's good. And what's the Twitter? <laughs> At Middle Night Tale. Correct. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so is stories to tell. Yeah. At Middle Night Tale. Um, yeah, so that's kind of probably enough from us, I think. I think if, if you know, if you're interested, it's worth it's worth watching the BSL videos. There's a Pied Piper of Broad Street and working to completely change the language. And so I might say slick suits, but that's like a whole character for her. So it's it's really interesting mm -hmm. to watch and kind of thinking about how podcasts can or can't be translated into sort of BSL and things. Yeah, good. That's it. Thanks. Thanks for having us. This is that awkward moment. You won't be fine if you don't. See that you're leaning forward. No, no, it's making me feel confident that you have one. Because I know I don't, so I'm going to lean right back. I think also it'd probably be useful uh, as it's a podcast festival to just take this as a provocation to talk more generally about podcasting. Yeah. Uh, if anyone yeah. else wants to sort of think Ooh. about that. Yeah, so we're new in if, if anyone's got a question that we want to kick off with, then put your hand up. If not, I will kick off. Ross has got one. Thanks, Ross. <laughs> 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 Ross, Ross, can you come, can you come here? Come here and give me a cuddle. Hey, dear man. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, Fran, you have a uh, very um, special turn of phrase, mm -hmm. apparently. <laughs> and um, uh, I just wondered if you attribute that to anything particular or inspiration or, do you know, anywhere you get that from particular or is that just who you are? Um, I think there's several. There's a, little, there's a little bit of different things in there. There's Dan a bit of Daniel Kitson, maybe. Not quite. Um, Spalding Gray as well. I realise I'm just saying men. Um, <laughs> um, I think because I come because I'm kind of coming from that theatre background as well so but I've always I guess had that sort of sense of delivery and always really liked talking directly to the audience and kind of that storytelling as well um, there's a company called Curious as well that mm. I was quite influenced by uh, it's a performance artist called Bobby Baker as well that does some really good stuff around um, mental health she's brilliant um, so kind of a lot of that, but also I'm gonna say like Jack and Nori and stuff, <laughs> like like that and storytelling, like storytelling. and that kind of that just riffing and going off on those kind of small small legends um, that uh, how people can sort of go off and sort of tell these stories as well. When we um, when we toured the show, the technicians had fun because uh, Fran ad-libs a lot so like she'll respond to what's happening in the room a lot she'll change the text night to night so <laughs> the sound cues are ne never what they are in the book um so they're always kept on their toes so it was a really interesting process putting it into a podcast because she couldn't change the words <laughs> they were like <laughs> recorded and that was it and I think our sound designer Really enjoyed that. <laughs> really, <laughs> really enjoyed being able because he worked on the theatre show as well. So he really enjoyed being able to um, have something solid and unchangeable that he then designed around. I think he really also enjoys the challenge of designing around that change. Mm. He's just done that for quite a long time at that point. Yeah, and it's quite strange for me having things locked down. Actually, I'm going to say that back out to some of you who are lovely podcasters. I guess like what that? Do you write? What's your process? Do you write? Yeah. Do you write things? Because mine kind of comes from that writing thing. Or some of it more kind of chatting, so you see what happens. Kind of. Well, I, I'm now using the podcast that these guys are on, so I'm oh. going to move over here because we don't have any process, do we, Dan? Do we, Mark? No, no process. <laughs> <laughs> no. Any, any, anyone got any processes over here? <laughs> 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 
No, it's fine. Um, so this is a really weird angle. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that might be better. Okay, for the benefit of the tape, Mark does have a process. Danny and I, bre- Danny and I break the process. That's our job. Our process is a little different because I basically do all the... I'm a conspiracy podcast. I do all of the research beforehand and then present it to a... to Tom, to a person, (laughs) who um, (laughs) then responds and asks the questions, hopefully, that the audience are thinking. So my process is a lot of research beforehand where a lot of my points are kind of scripted, but Tom's is entirely... Improv and ask me on the spot. Does she give you so the points to look at before? Or no. Does she literally presents no. them and then you respond. Do you know the theme at all? Or do you not, you not know what you're walking into? <laughs> I <laughs> I try to never tell. Well, I all we live together, so I normally tell him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I try not to give him very much info. He normally knows the episode title. We've actually got a show tomorrow, where um, he doesn't know really anything about it. (laughs) 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 It, You'll have to come back tomorrow. That's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, So that's our process. Great. That's really really interesting. It's amazing. I don't think I've ever come across a podcast with an audience surrogate. That's really interesting. Do you feel like you're being like hijacked and attacked every time? (laughs) Yeah. Um, oh, that's hot. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Um, if anything, I feel like I'm being the disruptive one because Kat knows all the points she wants to get through and talk about, and I'll just pick up on any little things and, like you say, sort of go go off on a tangent or sort of respond to things. So Kat kind of doesn't know what points I'm going to pick up on and make fun of or whatever. So, if anything, it's quite relaxing for me, and you're just trying to be like, yes, Tom. Okay, sure. It also means that I have to prep for every possible question he might ask. (laughs) So, my research is a very extensive... Most of the time in the podcast, we don't cover everything I've researched. Mm. But it means I've got lots of fun facts for parties. So... (laughs) 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 Is there anything he's ever asked that has stumped you? Is there anything... Um, So... uh, I feel like I'm going very off track here. But our most recent episode was about um, a true crime case, actually, where a woman was... Un- she died, and her husband was convicted of the murder. And there's a conspiracy theory that it was actually an owl who killed her. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this case. It's a, there's a very popular Netflix documentary about the staircase... We didn't really go into the true crime case because we were more interested in the possible owl murderer. Um, (laughs) And he asked me a question about um, how often owls kill. (laughs) And I was like, ah. (laughs) I haven't actually researched that. You have to own up to stuff like that, I think. That's not going to be in the Wikipedia summary of the thing, is (laughs) it? I know that a lot of it is. <laughs> That's just rude. I know. <laughs> so it would be really rude if I didn't ask, what's the name of your podcast, please? For my own personal needs. Uh, it's called Cat's Cabinet of Curiosities. Brilliant. So we're not just um, conspiracies. I also We also do like cults, cryptozoology, which is sort of the Loch Ness Monster, the Yeti, if you don't know what cryptozoology is. Um, you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really great. And I also think that Ellen, who is like our assistant producer, would love it. It's right Me. up her street. Yeah, it, it, it's anything. I love mysteries. I love mm. a true crime. I, I, I love a crime novel, mm. Sherlock in general. And I just love the idea of mysteries. And, and that form, that, that narrative seems to work really successfully on podcasts if you look at some yeah. of those like huge yeah, grossing. Yeah juggernaut podcasts mm-hmm. like serial that that seems to work oh sorry you've got you've got to acknowledge who your big 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 kids are innit? it doesn't mean they're the best <laughs> so yeah it's just really interesting 
you look at those, um, it's supposed to be something in Swan Lake up in uh, the Sandvoll Valley. There's supposed to be some sort of gecko that escaped in the 70s Ooh. and is said to haunt the, <laughs> the Swan Lake that people emailing. swim in. Well, I was <laughs> just going to start emailing you. I can't remember what it but it's some sort of lizard thing that now allegedly lives in Swan we Lake. We did an episode recently <laughs> about, again, I'm sorry, we're going really off topic. <laughs> we did an episode recently about... Um, the Loveland frog, which is a humanoid frog that people have supposedly seen. So it looks the shape and size of a human, but it's just a frog. <laughs> like a giant frog that people say come out of the water and like warn of the apocalypse or whatever people think it is. So. Not much evidence. I'm glad we're hearing this. Is you were quite robust on that one. Mm, very much so, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. That's great. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Anyway, I'm sorry we've hijacked yeah. with our promo. Good. Share the love. Wasn't that a joke in Father Ted, the spider baby? Isn't that the same? Spider isn't that the same thing? <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. Now who's putting money in the fridge? Yeah, it wouldn't be accurate to call it that. <laughs> um, did anyone else have any any questions? What? You should be saying, I do look like a robot. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, you, it's a process. That's literally how my podcast goes. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> Um, we, we, okay, so, uh, I'm, I'm doing Beware of the Leopard with Mark and Danny and John, who's not here tomorrow, uh, and that does have a, have a process, sorry, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, my other, my other podcast, um, that I do with Mark, Thread, um, that normally has a structure. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. For the tape, yeah, Mark is pulling faces. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, no, we, no, we do. I, I say, here's the thing I want to talk about. He says, here's the thing I want to talk about. Normally, he wants to complain about something. And then I, I decided that I needed to have a crutch, so I, I bring something from Twitter each week, which is Thread of the Week, and then we set each other homework. Uh, the homework thing was the, was the point of the show. Yeah, that was the whole idea, and then that's your assignment, by the way. But uh, Runapod, what we do with Runapod is that Nick and I will text each other between recordings saying hashtag show notes um, and then we'll forget all the things we've said and then we'll do about two minutes just before the show going like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> What's the show about? Uh, but we normally have, we have follow-up training and then a topic. Thank you for the question. <laughs> it's not. It's, this isn't my show. Uh, do, do we want to talk anyone? Has anyone got any questions about the show? We talk about. Yeah, please. Do you do you want to walk down to the end, or do you want me to reach it over? Um, we don't have any choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is, can you walk <laughs> to me? Yeah. Were you, were you going to ask a question? Was it Julia? Ah. I've only been once, but I'm, I'm a Brummie, so... Oh, okay. Sorry, Sorry yeah. to hear that you've been brought to peace. <laughs> <laughs> once was enough. Yeah, it really is. Imagine growing up there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, imagine. Just write a book about it. Um, oh, my name's Hassan, by the way. Um, so I have two questions, because I'm a cheeky like that. Um, a lot of your stories are sort of experiences that you sort of have. Well, it's all based off what you know, you've been through and when you decide to write something based off a certain theme, do you ever just think to yourself, hmm, I don't think I want to talk about such and such experience, especially considering we're in a very political time right now? I think that's a really, really good question. Yeah, I think so. Um, I There are some stories that I've taken some stuff out that uh, there's never anything that is specifically autobiographical, so it's never quite my voice or... Or things like that. So um, there is some subtext to some of kind of what I'm saying, but I tend to write a lot of stories about men <laughs> and men's loneliness, um, which is interesting because I'm a woman. Um, and I think 
I think it's a really interesting question because I think there is sort of pel- in in the theatre show there was some sort of thread about kind of hope um, and kind of getting through the night um, and there are sort of stories around violence in some of them um, but I'm not being abjectly political so I'm not doing it in uh, my own voice necessarily sometimes um, but I, I wonder about that and I wonder what's kind of next as well I think it's sort of about about the world um, and about like really particular points in time like I feel like it's quite rooted in sort of late 90s through to now mm-hmm. um, and there's a currency to it but in like 20 years time I'm not sure if it will still carry mm-hmm. that relevance um, and so there is like these subtle undertones of politics and there is stuff in there but it's just not politics with a big call sort of what is politics (laughs) like get you know getting into like how we perceive what that is and how we perceive society is is really interesting i think there's some disruptions in some of the stories where they could be male male leads and the characters but they're female there's some there's some stuff in there but um yeah nothing abjectly it's mainly about kind of technology and (laughs) and liking analog and interestingly it being now a podcast um but kind of that loss of loss of something and what what keeps us awake as well that kind of constant niggle you talked about like people you knew at the time who were awake through sickness or through anxiety or through addiction to reading about the news or like various things like that was part of part of it i think for you was like why why it was this thing that could carry us through the night yeah Hello. Oh, I had to make sure first. That's awesome. Thank you. And the second question is, um, what sort of advice would you give to anyone starting a podcast, considering that this is a new medium for you, mm. but it's a successful medium as well? So what kind of advice would you give? I think we, pro- did we approach it quite naively, I think. <laughs> I think I can't work out if it's good to do what other people are doing or something else kind of thing. Um because I think sort of the storytelling stuff isn't isn't necessarily the really popular stuff on podcasts, the true life stuff, the people sort of what I'm doing necessarily isn't the kind of the really popular things. Um, but I would say it's about what you want to do and what you want to tell because you're always going to have those audiences. Um, and it's that, I guess it's that intimacy between you and, and listener and what you what you want to tell and what what you believe in, so that it's not about counting up hits and things like that. It's, it's about the stories or what you want to say out there, because I think that's a that's a really important thing. There was some there was a program I'm going to say it on Radio Four that was about people who do loads of stuff online um, that no one watches, and that's fine. They really like doing it, and they do their videos, and and maybe that's all right actually. Like when we're sort of saturated by chasing kind of stars or dreams or or uh, people's followers, and you know like all the well actually sometimes it's all right just to do some stuff. And like there's a man who lived on an island on his own and made like these massive pieces of art that no one ever saw. <laughs> and I kind of like, well, that's okay, you know, mm. like that kind of that's what the internet was at first, wasn't it? It was sort of shouting in the dark and seeing what happens. With like a producer hat on, um, find a mark, <laughs> find a podium. So like mm. um I produced theatre shows and arts festivals, um, and like live art parties. I don't produce podcasts and I had no idea. I was like yeah, I mean, like, so artistically, it felt very clear and very easy. So we book a recording studio, we do the recording, Ian, our sound designer, could do all the edit. Um, but understanding the practicalities of, like, getting a podcast online, like, how to get it into the Apple Store and Podbean and all of this, like, huge list of all these different places that people download their podcasts, like, completely out of my depth with that. And, um, like, I probably spent, like, a hot minute trying to Google it and quickly felt quite overwhelmed. Um, so I used social media network to ask my networks who might be able to help, and um, a very trusted colleague came back with Mr. Stedman of po- Podiant, um, and he's just done all of that stuff. He's just sort of taken it off of us and made that happen in a really simple way, and a whole load of other things like that have been super smart that we just hadn't wouldn't have thought about. Um, so yeah, like thanks, Mark, because um, I'm not I'm not a podcast producer. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I would find 
find someone who can give you that practical advice. It was very reasonable, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely good, really short thought. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. How are we doing? Is it nearly nine o'clock? I well, it's quite near. Are you, how are it you is. doing? Are you okay? We're good. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Right. <laughs> you look so serious. Jules, while you're up, do you have any questions? <laughs> oh. That's, that's all right. That's what you do, isn't it, in this situation? All right. Danny Caroline? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see if Danny and Caroline want to ask anything first. You know, Danny, you know, Caroline? Yeah. Caroline has a question first. You, are you all right with that, Caroline? Mm. Are you? I don't know what to do now either. I, I don't. I don't know what to do either. <laughs> Let's let Caroline go first. Um, thank, thank you. Um, What's next? What what's future? What future plans? Are you going to do something different? Keep going with this. What's next for oh, you? That's a really good question. Um, I because we, we've got the last few episodes coming out. Um, um, so that's going to kind of finish for the moment. There's still stories that I'm probably writing, but the next big project that I I think I want podcasting to be part of. Um, no, well, that's true. Sure, we should. <laughs> um, is I'm planning to swim the channel and back, but in municipal swimming pools up and down the country. So I'm going to do a mile in 42 pools um, around the country. Talking about Brexit, but in like a slightly more thoughtful way than that. Um, <laughs> like who we are as a nation of inland swimmers and looking at the history, the social history of um, municipal pools um, and what maths do with class and different groups that swim in pools and, and who kind of who we are as inland swimmers as we set sail to leave a nation behind. So I, I think from some of the stuff that we've learned for this, because it's going to be a big project and it doesn't necessarily end as a theatre show. It's not about that. It's about you know, those acts of meeting people as part of it as well. So how that's documented, I think we're kind of thinking about that as well. And um, and I certainly think certainly you you want to kind of do more podcasting yeah, and talking. So I'm actually starting a project, a podcast at the moment with um, an artist called Soraya Aisha who um, has a brain condition. Uh, she has a condition called Chiari malformation, um, which is means she's registered disabled, but she's also an artist, spoken word artist, writer, maker. Um, and we are going to talk about, are talking about kind of invisible disability um, and sort of the intersections of that to do with what that does to you, to your sexuality, to your relationship with your family, your partner, um, the NHS, and talking to a series of other um, largely women and non-binary people. I think it's exclusively women, women and non-binary people at the moment that we're talking to. Um, about different invisible disabilities. Um, so Soraya and I came together because I also carry some invisible disabilities. But that makes it sound really serious, and it's actually <laughs> very, very funny. You know, the episode that the first episode that we've recorded involves her like stuffing several hot water bottles down her pants, um, <laughs> and she's she's like a really hilarious, amazing spirit who's got this incredible like, like really. Um, astounding view on the world um so yeah we're just in the beginnings of of putting that together um and it feels like a really exciting form for her because when she's sick she can still lie down and record the podcast right so it's called horizontal um which is kind of comes from a place of her sometimes having to be horizontal because of this brain condition but also wanting the hierarchies in society and how we make work to be more horizontal um yeah, I've managed to make it sound really serious, so when she hears this, she'll be like, fuck's sake, fuck. <laughs> but it is also very funny and very human. So, yeah, that that's in the in the offing for me as a podcast. And then I do loads of other, like, arts things, produce big, crazy performance arts film stuff. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, jump in front of Ross. Okay. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. Ross. Ross is just going to... Oh, you did go first, didn't you? Yeah, to be yeah. fair. We haven't got much time left. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I just w wanted to pick up on, on what, what you were just saying, actually, if you don't mind, which is... Um, so I'm interested, from your point of view as a producer, what, what does podcasting mean to you when you're thinking about 
work. So are you thinking about podcast as a form for artistic expression? Are you thinking about it as something that supplements other work? How how are you feeling about it and what do you think artists could do with podcasting as a medium and why would you encourage somebody to go down this route rather than another route? Um, well, I'm an and-and person. Sorry. Um, I'm an and-and person, so I probably would not go, do that, don't do that. I'd, do, I'd be like, do that and that. Um, but like, I'm obsessed with podcasts, so I've got a big lazy he's not lazy he's not lazy at all i've got a massive dog that needs a lot of walking um so me and the dog go out and trudge the fields and i listen to podcasts um and so i'm like slightly obsessed by them anyway uh and i just think they're a really interesting and different form so sitting in the theater world we um you know often our audiences can look quite similar so they can be people coming in from like a fairly middle class background got an interest in theatre they're largely quite white they're largely quite educated um and that's to do with buildings and access and perception of theatre and if you take the theatre out of a building and you put it in uh, a cafe in Erdington as we did with this show or you know um bid which is Birmingham Institute for the Deaf you get a completely different audience um and I think podcasting is like another way of doing that so it's an opportunity to reach new and different audiences and like for stories like the place that we've had the most downloads for stories is Chicago (laughs) more than Birmingham more than Watford more than like where anyone we know lives we don't know anyone in Chicago We've nailed Chicago. They love us. <laughs> I have no idea what we've done. I think there must be a big podcasting community out there. Something has happened over there that they've really picked it up. So I think you just reach really different audiences. And I think, you know, like I'm not evangelical about theatre. Like I don't think theatre's for everyone and you must all come and you must all convert to it and you must all enjoy it. Like I think that art is for everyone and different formats for that will reach different types of people and for me like that podcast thing is just like a different format really um i'm looking at mark because it looks like we need to end um yeah no it's fine i also go on and on and on because this is like my world so i'm it's a great question for me so yeah does that does that answer it good well thank you very much um ross please feel free to ask your question um afterwards (laughs) afterwards <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, Ross we, we're so sorry yeah. you got you got your one in um, but we've got we've got to get out of here because uh, there's other things happening in this place but um, oh. please give a massive round of applause to Fran and Pippa thank you thank you